Another hour of the Armstrong and Getty Show is upon us. Armstrong and Getty out for the day. They will be back better than ever on Monday. Until then, we're in the very capable hands of one John Phillips. Well, thank you so much, Positive Sean. I am John Phillips, on loan from Talk Radio 790 KABC in Los Angeles, where you can hear me between the hours of 12 noon and 3 p.m., at AM 790, or if you're not in Los Angeles, you can listen online at KABC.com. You can also read me in the pages of the LA Daily News, the OC Register, Riverside Press Enterprise, and most importantly, Redlands Daily Facts. So happy to be asked to sit in for the dynamic duo. They'll be back on Monday. And positive, Sean, the day on Wall Street is so good, I keep clicking refresh on my Schwab account like it's a morphine drip. <laughs> No, you just got to let it marinate, let it do it, do its work. That's what you put the money in the portfolio to do. It will do the work whether you look at it or not. Let it marinate in those juices and just keep it coming. All right. Well, there's a lot of positive news to talk about today. It's not just what's going on on Wall Street. The recall campaign, who's trying to boot California warden Gavin Newsom from office, now says they've collected 1.4 million signatures. And instead of mounting a defense of his performance in office and campaigning against the signature collection phase of a recall, Warden Newsom is pretending like it's not happening. He is in complete denial that there is an effort to remove him from office. And as he continues to ignore them, they continue to collect signatures. There was a huge spike after the French Laundry situation where he was caught violating all of his own ridiculous and arbitrary COVID-19 edicts. And now that he screwed up the vaccine distribution model in California, the number of signatures are flying in at a record pace. Joining us to talk about this and much, much more is Professor of Political Science Emeritus at California State University, Fullerton, Barbara Stone. Professor Stone, welcome. Hello, John. So, it seems to me that Warden Newsom is making a big mistake ignoring this campaign because the campaign is now at 1.4 million signatures. Let let me offer a slightly different take on what he's doing. Um, I agree with you, he should be doing something to stop the signatures. I'm not quite sure what. Because in the past, when I've seen it, campaigns have sent out people to set up tables next to tables, getting the signatures, go, no, no, you shouldn't do that. But, of course, with COVID, we can't do that. But he's doing, I think, John, things which are specifically aimed at the recall. Uh, I will uh, cite schools. Back when he decided to lock down again, the problem with him is it's hard to remember which lockdown I'm talking about. But schools had begun to reopen. Uh, Private schools in particular had begun to go back last fall uh, on a hybrid model. And when he slammed it down, he went, okay, no more schools. If the schools have already opened, okay, but no more new schools opening. And that's where we've been pretty much until recently. Uh, Schools are becoming a huge issue, in, in case you haven't noticed it. And when the city of San Francisco is suing its school board to open the schools, you know something's going on. You notice today the governor said, and he's been saying for at least a week, schools should open. 
schools should open. Of course schools should open. Otherwise, we should just tell the people the truth and that it's not going to happen. Well, honey boy, you're the one who's been more or less a one in the way of the schools opening, but I think his polling is undoubtedly telling him that he's going down in flames if they blame him for the schools on top of the vaccines. So he's doing that kind of thing. I saw today that, bless his heart, he has said, well, high school athletics should should start. They aren't starting because of him. Um, basically, they went to those tiers. Then he said he was going to have a, a plan for reopening high school athletics. They got all ready. Boom, he shut that off. No, sorry, I'm not going to put the guidance out. And that's where we stand. So CIF is, is all over the place. And, and it's because they got no guidance from the governor that we don't have high school athletics. Because here, <clears throat> particularly football, which is what people care about, uh, the pros are playing, the colleges are playing, but the high schools are not. But suddenly today he discovers that, um, oh, yeah, we should have high school sports. John, that's his version of combating the recall. If he's going to beat the recall, if you just look at the registration numbers in California, Democrats outnumber Republicans by what, two to one? He won his last election overwhelmingly. He won both elections as lieutenant governor overwhelmingly. He has to keep the people who already voted for him in line, or at least a, a majority of them. And if he does that, he's good to go, and the recall is no threat to him. That being said, he's been running around antagonizing his coalition right and left. The teachers' unions don't want to hear anything about going back to work. They've been very adamant about it in some of the biggest school districts and some of the biggest, most populated cities in the state of California. When he decided to open up outdoor dining and nail salons and hair salons, he did it through a late-night tweet and didn't consult the legislature. So you had various members of the California legislature come out and attack him publicly, not just from their Twitter feed, but there was a huge front-page story in the Los Angeles Times where they went after him by name. Usually it's always an unnamed assemblyman or an unnamed lawmaker. No, they were happy to put their name in the paper. And then when the U.S. Senate seat opened up in California after Kamala Harris was elected vice president, any number of high-profile black lawmakers, including the mayor of San Francisco, London Breed, and the former mayor of San Francisco, Willie Brown, said, voters elected a black female to that office. You better appoint a black female to replace her or else... And he decided to give it to his buddy, Alex Padilla, the secretary of state. And then they all trashed him in the papers by name. Uh, usually, again, a situation that, that goes off without attribution. But they didn't fear the governor. They were happy to go out and let him know that they were angry and who they were. Is he going to be able to keep his coalition together or are significant pieces breaking off in ways that are going to be a problem for him? And you need to make that a two-part question um, is, <clears throat> with relevance to both getting the signatures and then when you have the election. Um, in terms of the signatures at this point, it's irrelevant. Uh, they're driving forward. I think it's going to be very close, by the way. 
and I, I'm not guaranteeing they will have the signatures, but obviously to get the signatures, you're not depending on people who are part of Gavin Newsom's coalition. So either you get them or you don't. When you move on, then everything you just said matters. And all those people you just talked about are going – well, let me think for a moment. The odds, the odds are – that those same people will go, because I saw one legislator say this, well, but we didn't mean you should get rid of him. What we mean is he should do better, all right? And that, well, we shouldn't remove him from office because, after all, we might get a scurrilous Republican, um, but he needs to do better. And the question will be how that translates into what will turn out to be the electorate in a special election. And I, I, how am I going to put this? Unless something, some Democrat goes rogue, I doubt that those particular people would stand up front and go, oh, yeah, you better recall the dude. I don't think that will happen. But what they might do, of course, is the people who have listened to them, and so they know Newsom's no good, and so they know Newsom is a giant mess-up. Those people might not vote, in which case that affects the election. One of the things that we've seen happen over the last several years is we've seen hard partisanship take effect in this country. Uh, Certainly the Donald Trump era took it from where it was with the Clintons to a whole new level. Your team red or your team blue. And we have, have turned state and local elections, which typically are not necessarily as partisan as federal elections into partisan slugfests in ways that they aren't normally. When you're talking about a governor, when you're talking about a city council, when you're talking about a mayor, ideology aside, competence matters. Being able to to do the basic functions of government means something to people in a very real way. If you are a partisan Democrat and you work as a bartender or you work at Disneyland, or you own a movie theater, or you work in an industry that has been absolutely decimated. You're a nail salon owner, and you were blamed for the virus by the governor. What do you do? Do you vote your partisan preference out of loyalty, or do you vote your own pocketbook and say, hey, if this guy just wakes up one morning and decides to shut us down again for the third or the fourth time or whatever... I'm not going to be able to pay my mortgage. What do those people do? Okay. I hate to say this. I think their Democrat orientation stays with them all the way. And that your only question is, do they vote or not? And see, I'm guessing they don't vote. Uh, I don't know that that's true, but that, that I, I doubt that they're angry enough to, at him to go out for a special election. Now, I may be 100 percent wrong. Uh, I could easily envision them being just, just so hysterically angry at him, particularly if they're not doing well in the fall. So you've got to think ahead to that. A recall election will actually be next fall. And if they're still really angry at him, then, yes, they might go out. Where that will affect things is, of course, who succeeds him. And that's why I'm trying to think a bit about your question in terms of the partisan uh, affiliation. They're going to vote for a Democrat to replace him. And so there's got to be some backdoor maneuvering there somehow 
about who that will be. Um, when it was Gray Davis, the Democrats coalesced behind his Lieutenant Governor Cruz Bustamante, who frankly would have been governor had Arnold not decided to run. So I could see them deciding to use the same playbook now. Although I don't know, you're doing it seriously, but if you want a wonderful conspiracy theory, I think Adam Schiff right now is being very open about wanting to be appointed attorney general because otherwise the threat is he'll run against or run to replace Newsom. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. <laughs> All right, well, let's shift gears for a second and talk about national politics. A former California politician, Kamala Harris, current vice president, was dispatched by Joe Biden to West Virginia and Arizona to stir up trouble in the local press for Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema because they're worried that those two votes aren't locked down on legislation that's important to them. What's the thinking behind that? Because if I'm looking at West Virginia and I'm looking at Joe Manchin, who's been elected to the U.S. Senate and elected to the governor's office and various offices in that state, and Kamala Harris, who got obliterated there in the November election, the people of West Virginia like and trust Joe Manchin a lot more than they like and trust Kamala Harris. What are they thinking sending her to these states to stir up trouble for these local politicians? They aren't thinking. Uh, is the best I can come up with on that. <clears throat> Arizona, I semi-understand. It's not just Kristen Sinema. Uh, Mark, um, whatever his name is, who was just elected. Kelly. Ah, thank you. Gabby Gifford's husband. Um, has to run again next time because the, the seat he's in was McCain's, and it actually comes up then. So... I understand playing around in Arizona, reminding them, hey, we don't help you guys. You might lose to a Republican. But Joe Manchin, I don't know. Somebody without two brain cells to rub together made that decision. And um, they were. it was intended to pressure him. And did you notice that he shot back, that he saw that, and he just couldn't believe they did that? And suddenly, they go, oh, we didn't mean anything by it. Oh, there's nothing wrong here. So anyhow, that was a little bit of chicken and Joe won. <laughs> All right. Dr. Barbara Stone, professor of political science emeritus at California State University at Fullerton. Thanks so much for stopping by. Always a pleasure. Okay, John. Great. Bye-bye. It's John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty. More coming up. Don't go anywhere. The Armstrong and Getty Show. It is the Armstrong and Getty Show with yours truly, John Phillips, on loan from Talk Radio 790 KABC in Los Angeles, sitting in. Now, positive, Sean, have you noticed that in all of the advertising for the pizza joints and the sports bars and the beer companies for the Super Bowl, they no longer refer to it as the Super Bowl in their advertising. They call it the big game. Indeed. And they do that for a reason, because the NFL has let them know that that is trademarked, and if they use it without paying them, Roger Goodell is going to descend from a, from a cable from a helicopter over your house and give you a spanking. One of my favorite ways I see people get around this in written form is they refer to the superb owl, but they don't put any spaces. 
in the uh, in the word? Well, that's one change that we've seen with the Super Bowl this year. But there are other changes that are taking place because of COVID-19. Let's listen to Shepard Smith from CNBC explain some of them. The stadium typically holds about 65,000 people. COVID protocols decreasing capacity to just 25,000. Fans are to sit in groups of four, six, or eight in socially distanced pods. Empty seats will hold fan cutouts from youth football players to veterans. We're looking to create a full feel, an energetic feel, but do it safely. Officials are to distribute KN95 masks to everyone who enters. Also new this year, mobile-only digital tickets, plus touchless payments at the concession stands. And at the bathrooms, they've all been converted to touchless faucets. Now, Positive Sean, I am a longtime L.A. Rams fan from when they used to play at Anaheim Stadium in Anaheim. Mm Mm-hmm. So looking at a football game with a bunch of empty seats is not going to be that shocking to me. I'm used uh, that's to going to trigger nostalgia for you. Oh, oh. The, oh, the good old days. I remember the first time I saw a Super Bowl when I was a kid. I looked at the stands. I saw people sitting in the chairs. I said, what's this? That's not how football is supposed to be played. They allow people in the stadium? What? What is this? <laughs> what, are we watching football? <laughs> what is this? I don't recognize what's going on. But, yes, it's going to be a half-empty stadium. So it's going to be an adjustment, but it is the Super Bowl, so we'll all be watching. More coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show with me, John Phillips, sitting in. Don't go anywhere. Armstrong and Getty. Welcome back to the Friday edition of the Armstrong and Getty Show. As you can tell, this is not Armstrong nor Getty's voice. They are away for the day. They will be back on Monday. But navigating us through the sea of headlines, it is John Phillips. You know, can you feel the weekend? The weekend is almost here. It's just right. I can almost touch it. So honored to fill in for Armstrong and Getty this morning, but also be honored tomorrow morning to be on the golf course whacking a Titleist around. Because that's how we spend our time on the weekends. I'm on loan from Talk Radio 790 KABC in Los Angeles, where you can listen to me each weekday from noon to 3, or KABC.com, all around the globe. You can also read me in the pages of the OC Register and LA Daily News. As I mentioned earlier in the hour, the organizers of the recall effort for California Warden Gavin Newsom have announced that they've collected one point. Four million signatures, which is something I'm sure Newsom thought wouldn't happen in a million years, but it has. Joining us to talk about this is the senior advisor to Recall Gavin 2020, Randy Economy. Randy, welcome. Good morning, John. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, and I'll be better when you guys collect more signatures. How's that? I, I'm, I, we're right there. We're right there with you, man. We're we're doing it each and every day. Uh, I'm calling this the Lord's work, our our project to go ahead and really make a difference here in California in the future. You know, for for, for all 40 of our million people who uh, you know truly do love the Golden State, but are are sick and tired of of living under this 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 bizarre regime of Gavin Newsom for the past two years. When you're collecting signatures and you have volunteers that are outside of supermarkets and 
and Walmarts and different places all over the state. And they're having conversations with people as they're going in to do their grocery shopping. How difficult a pitch is it to get people to sign the petition? Or are they just taking a beeline to you the minute that they see you and say, all right, we're going to do this? Uh, it's a combination of a lot of different things, but yeah, you set up a card table or you just put there with your clipboard and there'll be a line 10 or 15 deep. Um, because again, this is not a Democrat issue or a Republican issue. It's a California issue. And so right now the, the sell, so to speak, to get people to sign the signatures, uh, are, it, it's pretty simple. It's pretty easy. Uh, right now we have about 300,000 Democrats who have already signed on. Um, so again, we're, we have the momentum at our side, but we don't want to stop and we have until March 17th to be able to bring this thing home. And, you know, our goal is to get between 1.8 and 2 million signatures so we don't have, leave any doubt in anybody's mind in regards to the validity and the, uh, the, the legitimacy and, and the, the power of the, of the people. There was a hit piece that came out about you guys and your effort to recall Warden Newsom on the Sunday front page of the Los Angeles Times. They tried to paint this as an effort by people with radical politics who were trying to impose a radical agenda on the people of California. Uh, What they were apparently aware of is that you have a long history in working in Democratic Party politics. (laughs) Can you talk to the audience and explain uh, your history in California politics? You know what I was, you know, when you're, when you're the, when you're the son of a cobbler, you make good shoes. And I happen to be the son of a, an amazing woman named Rosemary Economy and, and William Economy. And, and they were involved in politics when I was knee high to a, knee high to a hamster. And, and my mom's, you know, one of her premier clients back when I was a, a child was Jimmy Carter. And I remember, um, when, when then former Governor Carter, you know, when he'd be coming to our house in Cerritos, uh, and I'd be, you know, they'd be sitting out in the backyard and they would take the rotary telephone and they would dial, you know, dial donors to try to get $500 contributions. Um, that was, you know, that's how you're, when I, so that's how I was raised. I was raised that, you know, politics and politicians are just regular people. Um, they have a lot of flaws. Uh, they're not perfect people. Um, they're just people. Uh, and I think sometimes in society, we, we elevate our politicians to rock star status and almost create them treat them as almost like religious icons and they're very flawed they're flawed individuals and so i was i was very very glad to be able to 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 have you know the politics in my roots uh and i was a lifelong democrat until about um until about 2004 and um uh, i was a member of the democratic party central committee here in california and and uh I, i i ran for chairman of the los angeles county democratic party and I saw how corrupt party politics was from the inside, and it's very ugly, and nothing has changed. It's gotten worse. So uh, I, I went the route of leaving the Democratic Party, and in California, uh, the second most popular party is, is, is now the decline to state party, which is people with no party. Uh, and and uh, so I'm, I've, I've joined those ranks, and uh, I have done so for, you know, 10, 12 years, and then four years ago I – I re-registered as a Republican for just one reason, and that was to help um, Donald Trump uh, and worked as his media advisor here in California. And just, you know, the odyssey continues. But, you know, like I said, I'm just so blessed that I understand politics and politicians probably better just about anybody else. And, you know, nothing kind of gets past us and gets past me. So, So I think that's why 
Newsom doesn't really he doesn't he doesn't understand where you know those crazy people uh, and 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 uh, you know the L.A. Times when they did that political hit piece on us and that's exactly what it was it was a political hit piece uh, you know painting us in every different light possible um, it was expected and it's going to get a lot more dirty between now and and after we get the signatures required and. You know, welcome to the summer of 2021 with with California. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be amazing. It's going to be fun, but it's going to be really ugly as well. There was a new poll that was just released, a Berkeley poll that shows that Warden Newsom's approval rating has now dipped to 46 percent. The last time they conducted a poll, it was at 60 percent. He has dropped 14 points in a very short period of time. People who cover California politics all seem to be surprised at that big drop in his approval rating. Were you surprised when you saw those numbers? Uh, no, and I don't even believe those numbers were accurate. I think those are inflated as well. Um, you know, ten, they, they interviewed 10,000 people on that poll, and it was a – you have to remember how polls are conducted. This was a, uh, a poll that people took online. Um, so it wasn't a traditional telephone survey poll. Um, so I, you know, I, I understand, I know how popular this man is and he's, a, he's, he's, he's not, he's not that rock star that he portrays himself to being, uh, he's, he's endangered to, to not only lose his job, but to lose his political, uh, future, which is, is, you know, controlled by his, his step aunt, Nancy Pelosi. Uh, and it's not about him being governor. It's about him becoming president. Does he still think he's going to be president someday? I think in the back of his mind he does. I think he thinks that this is just going to go away and we're not going to qualify and and those crazy people from the, you know, from the recall movement are are all, all out of their minds and and uh yeah, he's just, you know, it's going to be business as usual, but you know, he he's brought in a team of political consultants to basically run the state of California on a day-to-day basis as as the, his chief of staff and and is his you know second command and is Jim Debu and Dee Myers and you know Debu is a is a political operative and Dee Myers is a is a relic from the Clinton administration. One of the things that happened in the recall election of Gray Davis is that he was of the belief that to survive the recall, what he had to do was he had to throw red meat out to the Democratic Party base, and he ran for office as a moderate Democrat and attempted to govern as such, but kept getting pushed to the left by the state legislature, but really went hard left as soon as the recall election qualified for the ballot because he thought he had to do that for political survival. What do you think Gavin Newsom is going to do if the recall election qualifies for the ballot? Do you think he's going to go hard left to try to keep his his base behind him, or do you think he's going to say to himself, Geez, Louise, I've got to open this state up for business like Florida and Texas. Otherwise, I'm just going to be toast. I think he'll be drinking lots of wine from Jack Winery, where he, you know, that that, that wine company that he owns, and probably uh, be spending happy hour every day at, at the uh, French Laundry. Uh, I mean, th- I, who knows? I mean, uh, I think what you're going to see is him having a complete nervous breakdown. Is what you know? He, he's we live rent free in his head this recall movement and, and, and we should, uh, because it's much bigger than, um, just his failed policies. It's about the dysfunctional way California is run. Uh, and when you live in a one party state 
you get situations like this. Um, and so, you know, it's a combination of a lot of things, John, but I hope that kind of like answers your question. He gets very testy whenever he's asked about the recall, whenever he's asked about his bad approval numbers. A guy who's normally cool as a cucumber really starts to lose it. Have you noticed that? You know, he's out of central casting. And if you were to go ahead and do a remake of the movie The Candidate starring, you know, Robert Redford back in the 70s, you know, the one that you would probably put in the role of of the gentleman who becomes, you know, the U.S. senator from California and then the the guy running for president, it's, it's, it's would be Gavin Newsom. And, um, he's, he's, you know, this is his life. He's, he's been trained. He's been raised, um, to, to be uh, a governor. He's been raised to be a president. Um, you know, he was first appointed to the San Francisco board of supervisors by then former state, uh, uh speaker, Willie Brown, who was probably the most powerful politician in the last 50 years to actually you know, reside and, and work in, in Sacramento. So it's almost like he was predestined uh, to have a, a career of greatness. Not about his, and it was never about his ability. It's about his lineage as a, as a, as a, as, as a man and how he was raised. Uh, and, and I think, you know, he, the last thing he ever expected was, you know, a year and a half into his first term of governor um, to face these crazy volunteers at RecallGavin2020.com who are out absolutely slaying it every day and bringing in petitions left and right. So, I mean, we have, we, we were upset the apple cart, um, but we're not going to stop until he is removed from office because, you know, we can't function as a state anymore like this. He has completely shut us down, locked us down for, you know, a year now. It's almost been a year, John, uh, and it's unacceptable. And, you know, so many people's lives have been destroyed, not only because of the virus, because of him. I mean, I don't know how many small mom and pop businesses throughout California have just absolutely been decimated, completely closed down. And they're never going to open up again. They never are. Do you think this would be possible without the French laundry? Because the French laundry is so emblematic of everything that's wrong with this state. It is a governor who doesn't believe his own B.S., he was out violating his own edicts. If it weren't for a patron in the restaurant taking pictures of him, we would probably never know about it because the California press corps would have protected him. And it, it, it he was there with lobbyists. He was there with 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 well-to-do people in Sacramento who shape healthcare policy. Who I believe it was the California Medical Association who was there with him. And these are all of the people who are making the big decisions on things like vaccine distributions and fighting the pandemic. And they were all laughing it up at this very expensive restaurant with a bar tab of, I think it was something like $17,000. And the people of California are sitting here looking at that, and they're saying, wait a minute, we're on house arrest, and this is how you're spending your time while you're screwing the government up? Uh, it, it was the gift that keeps on giving that woman who pulled out her cell phone and decided, gosh, that looks like Gavin Newsom over there with 21 other people, and they're having the time of their lives. Uh, and she took out her cell phone and does what everybody does nowadays and catches catches people in in in, in you know catches them red red handed. Um, so again, I don't know if we would be in this situation without actually seeing how he uh, how he acted. Um, and if he, you know, but he was eventually going to get caught because that's just who he is as a man. He's been violating his own own regulations since day one on the lockdown here in California. And he's just gone on his merry way and, 
and you know, gone to lavish ski trips and and dinners that only people can dream about. So I I think that you know would this would we be in the same situation if that woman hadn't picked not but I think that was the nail in his coffin. As someone who's worked in Democratic Party politics a long time, have other Democrats, have other people, mutual friends between you and Gavin Newsom reached out to you and asked you to knock it off? Oh, absolutely. It happens all the time. And we just kind of like laugh and chuckle and saying, you know, you can't stop a locomotive after it leads uh, the, the train house. And um, they, you know, we've been, we've been getting threats. We get constant phone calls. Um, from people saying, you know, you really, you really got to knock this stuff off. I mean, you're, 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 you're being made a fool. And, uh, you know, we just keep working harder, just keep working harder and harder and harder. Uh, and that's why we are where we are today. And I, I, I think we're going to do this, John. I think this is going to be the greatest summer of politics in American history. Well, you're doing great work. Keep collecting signatures. What is the, the website? Uh, RecallGavin2020.com. That's RecallGavin2020.com. If you're a California code and and printed petitions from your house, and you can sign them right there, uh, uh, fill out the bottom affidavit there, and mail it right back into us to our uh, the addresses listed on the the website, and we will make sure that your your uh, your voice is counted and your signature is added to the uh, total. Randy Economy, Senior Advisor to RecallGavin2020.com. Thanks so much for stopping by. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. It's John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty. More coming up. Don't go anywhere. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. It is the Armstrong and Getty Show with yours truly, John Phillips, sitting in today. The boys will be back on Monday. Sunday is Super Bowl Sunday, not just any Sunday. And a third of the seats at the big game are going to go to vaccinated health care workers. Let's go ahead and listen. Cut 14. Sharon is one of 7,500 frontline workers getting a big thank you from the NFL. The league reserving one-third of seating for healthcare professionals who got the vaccine. I am very proud to be representing healthcare workers all over the country during this pandemic. Now, I wonder how many people are going to pose as healthcare workers so they can watch the Super Bowl and have room to spread out. I, I, I don't think you can just show up in scrubs and they'll give you a ticket. I, th- I think the process was... Uh... A l- slightly more official than that. Only so slightly, wait a minute. Though. If I show up in scrubs and I just say, I'm Dr. Phillips from the clinic, you think they're not going to let me in? I feel like they may have some follow-up questions. <laughs> All right. Now, we've been spending some time today doing a little Super Bowl trivia. Are you ready for the next installment? Positive I, I think so, but I said that the last two times, and I'm 0 for 2 so far. So, so a bad showing for, for your boy Positive Sean so far. Okay. Now. One of the things that people are going to do while they watch the game is they're going to eat too much and drink too much, which will inevitably lead to people calling in sick the next day at work. Mm -hmm. How many people are expected to skip the next day at work because they ate or drank too much while watching the Super Bowl? 20%. 
I don't need a percentage. I need a number. A how number. many people? Oh, how many people? Uh, yeah. uh, uh, oh, man. Now my math is going to be shown as being way off. Uh, let's say uh, 50,000 people. Okay. They call it Super Sick Monday. And back in 2019, more than 17 million people called in sick. Not even close. On Jesus. Super Sick Monday. <laughs> So I guess people were having a bad reaction to those hot and spicy buffalo wings they were throwing down in record numbers. Uh, somebody brought over something in a crock pot. It seemed okay at the time. I, I don't know. I just can't make it in. I'm sorry. You know, that queso in the crock pot is always alluring, but you always end up paying for it. I'm just a fan just... of the, uh, those. what are they, the, the little Vienna sausage things, like in the barbecue sauce. Sometimes you get those going in the crock pot on a Super Bowl. Uh, oh, event. those are really good. Oh, I will crush a full thing of those. You know, they say with Lay's potato chips, you just can't eat one. But really, with those Vienna sausages, you just can't eat about 45 of them. Exactly. And every time I go there, too, I pretend like, oh, oh, look at this. I, oh, I'll have one. And then, you know, I just walk by that 15 times and repeat it. Yeah. And then as soon as no one's looking, you just, like, eat from it like a trough. <laughs> There's just a mountain of toothpicks beside me as, as I continue to eat more. Absolutely. Well, I can't wait for the Super Bowl, and I can't wait for the Super Bowl offerings, and I'm getting hungry just hearing about it. It's John Phillips, in for Armstrong and Getty.